this computer. All right, so uh, for the second episode of Pod Chad Yitzchak, which is uh, a podcast which is as good as it is hard to say, um, we have Rabbi Arya Clapper. Uh, I went to his summer bait midrash program, and I probably should have gone to more of them. And uh, he has graced us with his presence uh, by Zoom, so whatever, um, uh, to help us out uh, in understanding the main idea in uh, Pachad Yitzchak uh, Sukkot 19 and about the Akeda. Uh, and uh, if I know Rabbi Clapper, this is the uh, discussion is going to go places that I have not predicted. So we'll see. Uh, okay. Rabbi Clapper, say hi to the audience, I guess. Hi, Akiva's audience. Wonderful to be here. I agree entirely that Akiva should have come for more summers. Always options. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. So let's just right, let's do um, let's do this Emira with the the proviso that uh, I'm teaching this as Rosh Hashiva, by which I mean that I don't have to know anything whatsoever about Rafutner or about the or right, or about anything beyond this this text in order to understand it. I'm just right. I'm just reading yeah. a text, and if, that will be if that needs to be provided. I'll provide it. Okay, that will be fairly true. I studied with. A number of interesting students of Rafutner, but I did not study Rafutner with them. So, the, yeah. uh, right, so I don't claim any, uh, any, any, any uh, Masorah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any either. I'm just a guy who picked up his books on Shinabet. Uh But yeah, um, I think. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, you know, have uh, I've read a lot about it, so that's all. That's my expertise. So okay. we're both we both don't have Masorah. We're fine. Okay, let's go. So let's see where we are. So this this basically begins uh, this, you know, as I'm, I'm sure many do. Right, they have the classic Joshua format, chiastic format, where you build you you build a whole series of questions and you answer the questions in reverse order. Uh, so this one has as its basic frame the the, the first frame the pasuk in Yeshaya, Lo Marti Yaakov Tob I'm not sure I'm getting Bikshuni or Bakshuni. Um, correct. And we're going to just ignore that because that's not the part that interests me. But you should be aware that's where that's where it always that's where it goes. And in, in a sense, everything everything ties in. Um, anyway, so the whole structure is is the claim that there there is there was a havamina that God could have said something about tohu, and it's not true. And the reason it's not true is because Yaakov somehow undoes the capacity for tohu in existence. Um, right. So that that's a basic framework. But um interested really in one of the internal rings about it, which is where he where he introduces an idea of an Akedat Yitzchak, which I think then radiates, radiates out to everything else. And if you um, if we understand what he's doing by Akedat Yitzchak, I think we'll be able to evaluate whether everything else works. Um, and I'm going to say up front that this, to me, is, is I love teaching this Akedat Yitzchak, sorry, this Pachet Yitzchak, because it's you're always you're perched on the precipice. Either this is incredible or it's nonsense, uh, and just sleight of hand and words. And I don't know if, um, yeah. And I go back and forth. There's a moment uh, when you're reading Pachad Yitzchak where you're like, "Where is he going with this?" And like, remember, I uh, was watching tape of me as a teacher, and I I thought I gave up the same vibe of like. Where is he going with this? Is he insane or is he does does he have a plan here? Uh so yeah, I get that. I I em empathize with it to a certain extent. Okay. Um, well, we'll see. My, my wife said that when we learned this, you know, that I told you my wife and I had had much fun learning this memra and the kara uh, on the on the on the way home today. So uh Deborah's reaction was kind of like um you know, she knows that you know that I sort of uh, make fun of the the world which I grew up in that you that dialectic is a word you can say and you think you've solved the problem uh, yeah uh, so, you know I mean, uh, there's two opposite things and uh I don't know yeah, yeah. the fact that they're opposite is no longer a problem because they're dialectic right they solve the problem so this is this has some of that issue Deborah thought like you know where yeah you know, where yeah uh, you it's not clear that you solve the problem by using words in a structure where you're used to not having to face the paradox um, so I think, but I I thought it. This is one of the days where it was working for me. So let's see, yeah. let's let's see if it plays. Okay, so here we go. Um, so he he begins by um, saying 
that there are two ideas. Oh, we're we so far. We we're gonna leave out the alcove stuff. He says that there are um two memras in Chazal which are entirely contradictory. One is that it's better for human beings not to have been created than to have been created. And the other is you know that just a puzzle, tov mode, right? Yeah. Right? So, right, so how can we how can we say how can we say both of them? And he's going to use that contradiction as the basis for his understanding of of Yitzchak. And there's an easy way to just frame it, right? Where you know where so the the killing of Akid, the killing of Yitzchak, right, would have been the fulfillment of Noach Adam Shlonivra, right? The reason Yitzchak would die mm-hmm. is because why should anyone exist? And um, and guess. at the end, pardon? Yeah. I guess end, that would be the lesson, yeah. And Yitzchak's survival is Tov Mode. Um, right. right. And so what we've done, though, this is right. This is a um, what he's done is he's in a sense is he's removed the temporal element because God. It's not like God first said Noach Lo Adam Nivra and then he said Tov Mode. Yeah, um, I mean, right? you do have that famous medrash of, uh, you know, uh, truth arguing, uh, truth and peace arguing, and you do have, like, the Malachi uh, you know, theme that is in midrash, so we might be building off something there. But, true, uh, that might very well be connected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? That's right. And But what we've done is we've set the Akeda up for now, as if the Akeda involved, the problem of the Akeda is that there's a contradiction as opposed to the problem of the Akeda is that God changed his mind. Yeah. Okay, right? Um, right? Because God tells Avram, sacrifice him, and then God tells then, then God tells Avram, don't sacrifice him. Okay, right? And so we have, right, and those are contradictory statements in the same way as better for human beings not to have been created. Human beings being created are really excellent. Yeah, uh, I've right, noticed so, that some commentaries see that as like the main moral issue with the Akeda is, you know, God contradicted himself. And I'm just like, okay, if that's a moral problem, you see in that, fine, whatever. Yeah, I don't think Ruffin is going to end up saying that. So yeah, let's, he's he's uh, not going to end up saying that, I don't think. But like, I've seen that before. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then he, right, he has another, uh, you know, he has another reversal, which... I should just mention, but it's not really going to be central to my analysis, which is that, that he points out, and I think this is this is clever, at least, that Yitzchak is dead while alive, and Yaakov is alive while dead. Yeah, he uses that somewhere else. I forget where. Yeah. Um, so that's that's clever, although it may get it may get him in, in trouble in trying to fill the final circle together, because when he talks about Yitzchak being dead while alive, he talks about that you know the the uh, the olama mufshat as opposed to the olam sheino mufshat, right? The olam yeah. sheino mufshat, the world, the tangible world, Yitzchak is alive, but in the the world, this mufshat, he's really right. He's really dead, and Yaakov yeah. is really dead and is dead in this world, but in the olama mufshat, right, he's really alive, and that's one of the things that Deborah I think nailed in our analysis is that he never. He never quite gets that. He doesn't quite get that to work at every level. The right, yeah. what's real and what's not real. Right? I so remember the, he real, does the same right? thing comparing with Eliyahu um, in uh, uh, Mamar in, in Pesach. Uh, he says that uh, Eliyahu dies in Pshat, and uh, Eliyahu doesn't die in Pshat. Uh, no, it. Yaakov dies in the Pshat and lives in the Drash. Like Yaakov Avinu Lomais and Eliyahu dies in Pshat. Uh, doesn't die in Pshat. Sorry. So he does make. Yeah. Right. So that that, that I think might be relevant later. Right. Elijah's using the word Pshat because when he uses here, that's so, the word he uses. Pshat. is the world is not Pshat. Yeah. I think it might be uh, relevant later on. Could we'll be see. fun, I guess, if he translates Olam Mufshat as the world with no Pshat. <laughs> uh, Interesting. He likes playing with language. I know. I don't. I don't know yes. what else. Okay, but the big thing is this pasuk in Yirmiya, right? The pasuk and the pasuk Yirmiya, which Rashi, Rashi, which and which Rashi quotes in Yirmiya, is that God says about the Kedah Lo Alta Alibi, right? right? God, right? That God, which God means that God never intended to um, that Yitzchak be sacrificed, and that's picked up by yeah, by Rashi there, and Rashi of course, Rashi of course in the. Um, 
Right, so let's really, let's re, let's read it where he says it now. He says, "Vatali bizei spak ben Abraham, upirish Rashi, kilomar afu pishet ziviti lo lishkot et beno veolam lo alta al libi elo linasoto." Even though I commanded him to slaughter his son, I never meant it except as a test. Right. Okay, so that's an interesting um, that's an interesting claim. I'll throw in you know, one of my general words about tests that I you know that I. I, I don't know if you've heard me say this, that Robert Frost is the only one who really had shot in Sefer Eo. Uh, Interesting. Robert, Robert Frost has a, has a poem called The Mask of Reason. And what he says is, the one-line summary of, of, of which solves so many things in Eo, it had to seem unmeaning to have meaning. And what he gets in that is that many people raise the question, there seems to be a contradiction between the story, the narrative frame, which is in prose, and the philosophy, which is in poetry. And what Frost gets is the fundamental stira is that in the poetry, you're never allowed to mention that it's a test because Eo's never allowed to think it's a test because the moment Eo thinks it's a test, it's not a test. Because once you can think of the possibility of a test, then you can be obeying God not because you love him, but right. because God can reward you for passing the test. So as I told appears, my listeners, as I told the listeners, this will go places that I do not anticipate, but yeah. Uh, okay, right. So that, that I think you, were, you were in the middle of saying something. Thank you. Right. So I think so. I think that that's you know that's a background to understand what it means for God to intend something as a test. God can intend something for, as a test, but the key is that when God intends something as a test, the testee can't know. Right. Um, and I think uh, you know deeper level of just getting my own stuff in that the. The the, uh, the tragedy of Sefer Eov is that God can um, never know that He's actually loved, because right because He has power, and if when you have power, you can't when you have power, you can't really know if you're loved, and that's the yeah. Whole, you know, I was reading something you... about that the other day that there's like uh, uh, there's like a um, it, I would get into like a whole other thing to describe this, but uh, saying from a philosophical movement that communication is only possible between equals. Uh, because once somebody's more powerful than you, then you're hiding the truth. Then you may not be honest with them. Uh, so maybe that gets into that. Right. So now let's play this out here, though. What it means is that once you've read, say, read, once there's no possibility of any sayon for anybody who has read, say, for you. Right. So now we have a, you know, I guess a shot question whether, right, to what extent, to what extent the narratives of the Akeda and the narratives of uh, of Eov relate to each other, right? If Avram has heard about Eov or vice versa, then, right, so they, these, the stories both have to be engaged in by characters who are unaware of right. the other story. They That's have the to part... be both character, you're saying that Eov has to be a character in Safer Eov rather than reading Safer yeah, Eov. If he read, right, if he read, if he read it, he, would, he wouldn't be, right? He can, right. Again, the, the solution to the apparent paradox is that if anybody ever thinks of the possibility of it being an Isayon, it's not an Isayon. And once the book is written, how can anybody not think of it? When anybody suffers unjustly, it's the first answer everybody gives. Oh, it's probably a test, like you. Right. I, um, that's 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 worth its own podcast, I think. So let's get back to this. Okay. So the reason I want to bring it in, I don't think it's I don't think it's not Nogea. Right. Is that to some extent what's going on here is Rafutner trying to resolve the paradox that the nisayon is a non-repeatable experience because right because if you right once you know of the possibility that it's a nisayon you can't have nisayon which means that anybody who knows that nisayon like this happened can't undergo it so what right. he wants to do right so one of his challenges is trying to figure out what is it that akida ishak does that is right that is something other than that happened once and and can never happen again. Right? What can we right? What right? What mm. how can what how can the experience of the akedah mean something to people who can never have the experience because right. they know about it? Right. So it's not a test if you know God wants us to pass the test of the akedah. So therefore, right. what do we actually learn from the akedah? Yeah, and what can right? And how can it mean anything to us? Right. Um, right. The Akeda is the Akeda is a self-defeating lesson in a sense. Yeah. Right? When you teach it, you can't. Right. So that's part of what he's that's part of what I think he's trying to solve. So now he sets up the paradox here. The way he, the way he sets it up is that there. 
Right. Rashi tells us that God never intended it as as anything but an isayon. Um, and that means that Abraham misunderstood God. Because Abraham thought that God meant it and he didn't. Yeah, I've I've played around with this idea. I think I sent it to you before I uh before I published it actually. Uh yeah. Um that Avram misunderstood. Inter- like, you get some interesting places if you, you go with that, yeah. Well, Rashi says he misunderstood, right? It's not a Kiddush. Yeah. Right? Just the, the brisker thing is that Avram, sorry, that Avram didn't ask the question till afterwards, which means in the brisker reading, Avram is aware of the possibility that he's misunderstanding because he's aware of the contradiction, but he thinks he's not allowed to ask. Whereas, right, you know, that Avram really misunderstands. He's not aware of the other possibility. At least for now, okay. He's not aware of the other possibility. It's a genuine misunderstanding. So now, I, I wrote a, a short story once in publishers of Artura about you know, you know about you know an old man with a son he loves very much, and he goes and God tells him take your son, you know, and you know, and he walks up to, he walks up the mountain and you know and he takes the knife to slaughter his son, and then he says, hmm, maybe that's all that God wanted. And he puts down the knife and he walks out of history and Tanakh and everything else. Who cares about him? <laughs> right? He got the answer right, but he's un- but he's totally unimportant because yeah. if you understand that, it's, if you get the idea, oh, it was just an Isaiah, right? right? Yeah, if you and I think that's that's going to play into what Rav Hutner is getting to Absolutely. pretty well. So, right. So now Rav Hutner, so Rav Hutner's thing is that Avram misunderstood, but it has to have been intended for Avram to misunderstand. Right? Abraham is not failing by not understanding God correctly. He's not supposed to understand God correctly. And now he has to ask the question, so why would a test be built on a misunderstanding? Right? Why, why, why right. can't, why, why, right? That's a, what, what a weird way to test somebody. If you're not trying to test them whether they're going to get it right, if the test is not, will you understand it correctly or not? So then why introduce this weird element of error? Right. Into, right, into the test. So his answer, his answer is, that it has to be that the misunderstanding is educationally necessary, mm-hmm. meaning that you can't understand the final answer unless you mis- right there, unless you misunderstood it first. You right. can't understand it correctly unless you've gone through the stage of misunderstanding. Right. So you have to. It's not something that you can, you know, pass by just getting it. And like in the story that you mentioned of the guy who says, who drops yes. the knife and goes, right. It's something that has to, in order to get to the point that Hashem wants you to get to, you have to totally intend for mistakenly, totally intend to kill your son and then pull back uh, and then pull back when told to. So okay, we should. There's a move you made there, which is not obvious. Okay, you have to totally believe that God wants you to kill your son. Yes. Whether you would right, maybe that means you t- need to totally intend to kill your son, and maybe not. Right, that's a whole separate question. What you're supposed to do once you believe that God is commanding this, but at the very least, the misunderstanding is that God wants me to, to that God wants me to to kill my uh, to kill my to, Avram, that God wants Avram right. to kill his son. Okay, so let's pick up how Rafutner says it himself. He says, yeah. That there was a nevuah that by which we mean the, the nevuah of Yermia. Yeah. Right. Yermia, right? So Yermia is teaching us something important. Without Yermia, we wouldn't know that God that God never intended it. So Yermia comes along and tells us God never intended it. And he does this because otherwise we would misunderstand the Akedah. Okay. We might think that God intended it and change his mind. We might think that God intended it. You know, with all right, and, and you know, and um, decide, you know, and, and decided in the end that Avram didn't need to do it, right? All sorts of things we might. So Yermia comes along and says, "No, if you want to understand the Akeda, you have to know that God never meant anything other than a test." Okay. Okay. Shabbat Great. Sorry. Ki kishem shemeshunehu unisayon haAkeda mishartnis. You know, tashul Avram Avinu bezeh. Just like the the test of the Akeda is different than Avram Avinu's other tests. Because his other tests actually came into uh, being in actual in, in in actuality as opposed to in potential. Avram withstood them actually, not just demonstrated the potential to withstand them. 
לא בא לכלל מעשה, ולמד בו אברהם אבינו אלא בהכנה ובכוח. He just showed that he was prepared and had the potential to do it. Okay. Okay. So this is a big point, right? It says, so the, right, when the Avram was never actually tested and God's command never actually became real. Right. All right, God's command is never carried out. Uh, right, so, right, so he's, he's claimed this is true on both sides. It's true... And Avram never has to do it. And it's also true that God never has to intend it. Okay. So he's drawing an equation between yeah. like Avram goes up to the mountain and then doesn't. And Hashem commands him to go up to the mountain and then, you know, pulls back. But never intends it. Never, right? Never, yeah, never, never intends it. Never, right? Never, right? There's no, right? God, what, what happens is what God wants, which is, right, is that Avram, has the reaches the capacity to fulfill it but it's never exact it's never supposed to happen uh okay yeah. that's right so it's interesting you know the the other i like in a at some points right i like ellie wiesel's um notion of the akeda as mutual testing uh and right it um that you know that god Av avram's you know god says god wants to see whether avram will do it and avram wants to see whether god will stop him yeah uh, i mean I think that I've long wanted to have a uh, to interpret the stories of Avraham with a derech, uh, with a methodology of what if Avraham's trying to figure out what this God is, uh, and like he doesn't know that it's like an ethical monotheism thing. He's like, are you an area God? Are you a location? Are you you know a nature God? What are you trying to? And every year I say I'm going to do it for Parsha stuff, and every year I don't. Um, Interesting. So when I taught Avram in high school, I, I introduced it by talking about the difference between a short story and a um, and a novel. That mm -hmm. in a short story, character is revealed, and a novel character develops. And so you have to decide whether whether you think the narrative of Avraham Avinu is is not read as a novel or or, or a or a short story. And then in the, in the um, and so the 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 novel version that I work out, I'm I'm not so interested in the area God stuff. I'm interested just in the ethical question. And so I thought that you had, you know, that that Avram could have lost his confidence because of Stelman and Yishmael. Yeah, and he's actually going through a series of progressive akedas, and he right, he loses his confidence because he right he argued and he lost. And the, the moral of the story is no, you're right, you're supposed to argue. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Yeah, and that but, plays into kind of what this mamar is about. In that, you know, he had to argue as part of the plan for Sodom even though he was going to lose. But he had to, you know, make that move first, right? Yeah, everything, every step of the process is educational. And, you know, this is, this is a bigger conversation about Rafutner, and uh, which Deborah and I had the car a lot about this, about the, the legitimacy of manipulative education. Yeah, this is a big question when it comes to Rafutner and the altar of Slobodka. And yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Yeah. Right. So part of the question is whether God is God's pedagogy is imitable or is supposed to be imitable. Yeah. Yeah, right. But Futner sets it up that God is willing to manipulate for the sake of education. He's willing to have Avram believe this, even though it's not true of him. Yeah. Um, right. So that so that's a, that is itself an ethical uh, yeah. ethical. I mean, knowledge. within reason, that is an educational tool of like you know, I sometimes you'd like to take your students down like a little bit of a path of like, uh, as I mentioned before, like, wait, where is he going with this? And then, you know, reveal, oh, it actually makes sense. And I, when I've gotten into trouble as a teacher, it's sometimes it's because like, I don't do the reveal quick enough. And my students are just sort of like, no, this is, I don't understand what's going on. I am scared. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> And people, you know, and sometimes people miss the reveal because always a chance when you're, when yeah, you're in class. Exactly. I will say, as you know, as a a strong contrast, uh, Rafershel Schechter uh, often goes on long excursi, but are but they're prefaced by all this is wrong, and he repeats yeah. several times during the excursi, this is right, this is wrong. Uh, you know, that's that 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 solves that problem. Yeah, right? that like, solves that problem. 
Earlier this year, I gave my students just a blank page of Gemara and said, look, this looks intimidating, right? And the thing was, you know, I'm going to teach you how to break it down, but they didn't get past the it's intimidating part. Uh, so, you know, I have yeah, to. That's yeah, that's anyway. A, that's it. OK, so let's go back to. to right. So um, so the just like Avraham's um, this, the whole test was of Avraham's potential, not of his right, not intended to be carried in the masa. So to the command of God only existed in that realm of the potential, was never intended to be actualized. Um, so this is the move, the whole thing, yeah, right? Is this is, yeah. What Rehutner does is he takes the um, dynamic of the Akedah and makes it explicitly pedagogic, and the pedagogic frame is Talmud. Now here yeah. we have to have, a, uh, and this again, I credit Deborah, that uh, when I teach Gemara, so part of what I point out teaching Gemara is Gemara usually, uh, in many cases, right, is Gemara does what I call the Rosh Hashanah thing. It says, "Don't, don't worry, right? You know this is wrong." Yeah. Uh, right. Talgadatach Amina. Right. I'm going to say yeah. something now, and it's going to be now. It always has risks, right? The deconstructionists teach us that because the Havamina in one sugya could be the Maskana in another sugya. Yeah, uh, right. Somebody can reject, but there, but the Gemara has lots of language designed to tip you off in advance. Yeah. My counterexample is sometimes the Gemara goes, you go through a whole sugya and you think it's great, and the end of the Gemara just says Velopi. Yeah, it reminds uh, me of a story of uh, you know Perm Torah, the um, you know the tradition. Just 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 for my listeners, the tradition of you know having pa parody Torah uh, spoken yeah. on Purim. And apparently uh, one Rosh Hashiva got up and he gave a shear on Purim. It was like a straight shear. And everybody's like, but that's not Purim Torah. It's not funny at all. He's like, no, it is it is Purim Torah. All of that was wrong. So, I, you know, I, you know, I, I gave a, uh, a, I got a Purim Torah that was, uh, you know, intended Lakantir many, many years ago. Um, it was uh, called Dead Women at Shluchot Sibur. And the purpose of it was exactly to prove the legitimacy. Uh, and it turned out to be a straight rebel comment. Oh, okay. Which was, you know, complete with the same proofs, which, you know, like whether you can wear, um, whether you can wear tzitzit in the cemetery in which all the women are buried. Uh, okay. Right, because it's like the rush, which suggests that the dead, right, that, right, that, that the dead women are kind of, even though, in Minnesota Seychelles, Mangrama, even though live women are, right, it was Bob, Mabish, where, you know, at the, I thought it was straight, it turned out there was no difference, which was, uh, you know, yeah, with one additional hop that I had at the end. That's, but roughly, so that's a whole uh, risky thing. Okay, any case, here we are. So he says that the, um, that the, um, the, Altishach Yachanar, don't, right, don't, don't, right, don't, do anything to, to harm your son. He doesn't, by the way, in this in uh, in uh, in this mama, and I think it's you know, it's our own thing. He doesn't talk about the double statement that the malach has to say to uh, yeah. has to say to Avram, and that might undermine um, some of it if you took it, or he might have a way of spinning it brilliantly. It's a miss. Let's we'll take it as a single statement. Don't right. Don't do it. Um, so that tells you the truth retroactively. That the first statement was just a havamina. So, so now we're going to talk about havamina and maskana, right? So in Gemara, there, right? Gemara right. has that frame. There are things you think initially, and then things you think at the end. And as we talk, that's dangerous, but that's a a structural yeah. element of Gemara. Yeah, um, one of the things I really like about this piece is that he's taking like the 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 heart of what Gemara study is and applying it to. Uh, and applying it to uh, understanding the Akeda. Like, I don't know, does that make sense at all? Yeah, so the question is, I think, well, there's two things. One is, right, so there's, you know, there's the whole, um, the, I think the, the nice Kiddush, um I'm blanking on uh, Agatha, Jeff, I'm blanking last, for a moment, I'm blanking the last name. All, 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 the, all the books about the historical Tal Talmud. Okay, we're, we're friends. I'm blanking on the name of the, the scholar who does it, does it Jeffrey. 
uh, Rubenstein. Rubenstein, Jeff Rubenstein. Sorry, my fault. Okay. Right, so it's nice, right? It's nice that all the stories in the Bavli take place in the base medrash. The same stories in Yerushalmi take place in all sorts of places, but the Bavli connects everything to the experience of the base medrash. So Reflector is taking you know this massive moral thing that might relate to real life, and no, it's really just what's going on is what's going on is the same thing that yeah. happens to you in the base medrash. And then the question is, we have to ask ourselves, right? Is that really is is this the way we learn Gemara? So that's one kind of right. That's one issue. Another issue which we just have to talk about is he is wrestling with the problem of uh, of second naivete. Yeah, uh, the question is whether it's possible, right? Whether it's possible for a um, for a sophisticate. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's possible for a sophisticate to once again be innocent. Um, so I've argued this is the story of Noah. Yeah. Um, right, and that you know, and then the the. Like, you know, Noah and Ham comes in and destroys Noah's illusion or actuality of, of second innocence. Uh, right? There's a lot, of, right, a lot, of, a lot of Christian theologians talk about this famously. Whether it's yeah, possible. I mean, that's what I was mostly thinking of when we were describing like Avram having to mean it, uh, having to like fully have the Havamina of you know he had like that's that was the relatable experience that I had of like yeah you have to have that second naivete kind of situation so let's be careful though because yeah. abraham has first naivete right, right. it's really right in refutner's claim right so refutner's claim right so what we're trying to do is right this is goes back to the problem in isayon right so the capacity to experience abraham for us to experience abraham's isayon is second naivete right right which as i said was impossible before you can't have the isayon again Rehud is trying to solve that problem in this mamar, right? How can the Akedah be meaningful, right? Isn't the Akedah the equivalent of asking somebody to be naive, right? Yeah. To meet the, right? So that, that's that's the underlying thing, is, right, is that Avram has first naivete, and so the, his solution to it is that Avram's first naivete is going to be so powerful that it imprints on his descendants, yeah. and we can have it again. Um, so, but so let's watch what happens. He says Abraham has the Hav Amina that God wants him to kill his son, and he has a Hav Amina to the point that he's willing to carry it out, but doesn't. And then Abraham discovers, oh my goodness, right? I was wrong, right? At the end of the Abraham says, oh, that's not what God meant at all. So the question is, what, right? So what is it, right? What is it? That, so the argument has to be. But if Avram hadn't thought it all the way, then he would never understand what it means for God to say, keep him alive. Right. Uh, in this, now, that actually makes more sense in, um, in British. Right? They understand that you can say, and that's what we have, that we say is, you only understand why human beings are tov ma'od if you understand how much, right, how it would have been better off for human beings not to have been created. And the way we do that is by saying, yeah. okay, if human beings ought not to have been created, so that gets back to your midrash, because human beings can right can make everything worse than it was, um, right? They can destroy the world by sinning um, and destroy and the world. Right. And only if you know that, if you know what the danger of human beings, right? So then you understand. But what? So what is the power of human beings? If human beings don't destroy the world, that doesn't make them special, because yeah. the world existed, the world existed before human beings. Yeah. Right. What makes human beings special is that we have the power to destroy the world, and we choose not to. Well, I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but uh, I don't know. We if may not. Be doing it. We never doing it well, but we don't. Yeah, okay, there. we're trying, kind of. Still there. I mean, look, you know, obviously we're using the physical world, right? Because we could we could sin, and by sin we destroy God's monarchy, because okay. now there are things happening that are not God's will. And that would be worse. It would be worse for it better as not to have been created because what we're created for is for God to have a monarchy over, right? Which is a cooler monarchy than the monarchy which there are no free will buildings, free free will beings. But it's right. But having you know God not be monarch and just have things happening that God right, right? That's terrible. So yeah, the free will aspect of you know a perfected world is something Rafutner does a lot with. but yeah, the, and this ties into the the continuation of the Mamar, where he brings that in explicitly of the idea of Noah Lola Adam Shalonivra, tying to the Akeda, right? 
Right. Yeah. So I'm just right, but it's easy to understand there because I think that that's right, that you can't get to the Tovim Ode, right, unless you really understand the possibility of sin. Right. You need because to understand the capability of people to destroy before you in order uh, in order to appreciate the fact that they do not destroy and that doesn't come unless you fully realize that the the level of destruction so it has to uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back to that term that we promised we wouldn't use dialectic um right of like you know you realize how destructive they can be on one hand and also don't um i'm hoping i make sense okay right so let's say i think i think that we can understand we can, we can understand the notion yeah. that to get because they're not really they're opposite ideas but they're right but it's not a contradiction to say that you right in the end to say that yeah. human beings are and the point is you can't have one without the other right and you can't understand one without the other yeah. you can only get to the appreciation of how amazing human beings are if you understand they really could disobey God. Yeah. Which is not obvious. Like how can you know with or Sadaka coin? Sadaq doesn't understand it, right? Right, all the right, all the all the determinists, right? You know, in Jewish tradition, which are not so many, but you run into that issue. Like, you know, how could how could something happen which isn't God's will, right? It's a fundamental problem. Uh, so when you under, to really get that, human beings could really disobey God's will. Like, oh wow, that's really awesome if they choose. Right. They choose not to do that. Yeah. Although so you now, could you could copy and paste from the structure of this memoir of like Loelta Alibi to to if you're Ishbitzer one of these determinists, you could go like, oh, we really Hashem really intended for this is go that goes too far afield. That's like another that's another show. Yeah, different kind of different. Is not going yeah. there. Yeah. Is not going there. Though he is influenced um, by Ripsudok, who comes from Ishbitz. Yeah. Yeah, he may be reacting. He uh, does that right, too. But yeah. like, um, okay, so now he's going to claim that in the same way, which I think is easier to understand, the same way that you have to really get why it would, why it might have been better for human beings not to have been created in order to understand how incredible human beings are. So the same token, Avram has to, right? Avram has to really, really experience God's will as. Uh, as right as Kilyashak, in order to understand why God tells him to spare Yitzchak. Right. Um, and presumably, they're supposed to be tied in to the right in the same way that you know that if Avram right if if Avram doesn't understand it, that means that Avram doesn't really understand what it means for there to be disobedience in the world. And okay. then, right? It has, to, right, it has to tie right. Is it claim? Has to tie in right? That the that Halayu Sham means really, really get. It's better for human beings not to be created. It's like right. Better for to be dead than alive. And then Al Tishlachet Chalanar teaches you know human beings are tov node. Right. Like the way that I was understanding this the first time I read this is sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, let me find the words for this. Like, uh, hold on, that really God can demand sacrifice from everybody. I don't know if this is what you you were going for, but really, if God demanded a sacrifice of your son, he could demand that. But then he doesn't, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't. And it's important for you to know both. Does that make sense? I'm not sure I want to go with you about the could. Because yeah. well, I'll be, right? I don't know. So let's read let's read the last three lines, which I think that's all we're gonna read now. I think that okay. will be will be if we read these three lines. Let's see what he says. Elisha writes Avram, so now Avram understands the truth that even the first that the first statement was only Havina, Elisha Bain Tayan. But meanwhile, Bena di Burha Rishon Uvena di Burha Shini, Neglela Avram Avina di Burha Rishon, Betura Maskana. Right, but now, um, right. So now, right between the first and second statement, uh, Avram, right, Avram thought that the first statement was a maskana. Right. Birak al and only through this, 
It's only because he fully invested himself in fulfilling it. That that's how it was revealed to him. There was only half a minute. It's only by fully embracing himself, fully embracing it, that he could understand that it wasn't. Well, so now we have to play. Is it only the way he could understand, or is it only that whether that God is willing to tell him that it's only that it's only a half a minute? Uh, right. That's all. Right. All we, all we know is that in the end, it was revealed to him. So I want to tell you why I found this so powerful the first time I read it. Okay. And then play it out. So to me, what I thought Ruf Lutner was saying, and I read it now, I'm not sure, but you'll tell me if you agree. It, that It happens. What, he's, what he says is that if you don't, I took it as a metaphor for people having moral difficulties with Halakha nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine that Ruf Lutner, you know, it was, he didn't have the same moral difficulties we had, but I imagine that he, you know, that there were things about Halakha he found difficult, um, probably restraints on creativity would be my bet to the things that he found that yeah. he found hardest. Um, so one of the arguments that is often made is um, that if the right that you know that if you the only people who can resolve moral difficulties are people who really are utterly prepared to follow it if it turns out that it, right that they're wrong and it's not immoral. Or are prepared, or are prepared to follow it, even though they right, they believe that it's justifiable. And when you really believe it's justifiable, that person, that person who really believes it's justifiable, that person can uh, and will, right? Will will discover that it's will discover. You know what? It never meant that after all. Um, right. right. So is, right, yeah, you have to fully believe that it's God's will, and fully be ready to do it to are you saying to have the credibility or to right so i think what you're saying is not credibility right yeah. it's not it's not that other people believe it's that you you're right you won't i can psychologize it you won't invest yourself properly right in understanding it unless the, the stakes are your own soul uh, right. If at the end of the day you 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 hold out this reserve for yourself, you know what? But if I can't find an answer, I'm not going to do it anyway. So that diminishes your motivation. You're not really there. Only thing that the only thing that can really convince you that you you, you, you want to end up with two things. You want to end up doing the, what God actually wants, and you want to end up doing what God actually wants, convinced that that's what God actually wants. Yeah. And if you haven't put yourself in the position where you would do it anyway. Then one of two things will happen. Either you're not going to come up with the right meaning, or really both. And second, if even if you come up with the right meaning, you won't believe it because you might just be surrendering to your own right, right to your own desires, as opposed to um, as opposed to doing what God um, what God wants. Yeah. So that to me, right? That right now we're in the base medrash, right? And I'm just talking to you, and he's saying, "Look, the akeda." Right, the Akeda is a uh, is a real thing that still matters. Uh, right, it's not just something that happened long ago. Right, this is when you confront a real problem with uh, a real problem with uh, right with Avodat Hashem. This right, the only way you can resolve it is by being fully prepared. And if you're really fully prepared, then at the end, the truth will become a hundred percent clear to you. Right, you'll know right. that you were right all along, and unless you invest yourself, you'll never know. You'll always spend yeah. your time worrying. Maybe I'm just imposing myself on uh, imposing myself on Torah. So, I do you that think that this a, is achievable for most people? So then, now here's the thing, right? So, no, absolutely not. But a Huner doesn't think it should be. Right. So what Huner says is that Avram Avinu had to do it that way. But Avram Avinu imprinted in his descendants the capacity for second naivete, that you can know that the answer isn't that, isn't isn't that, and yet you can fully believe the Havamina. You right. know it's only Havamina, and yet you can believe the Havamina enough to be able to genuinely get to the Muscana. Now, right, right, that's right. That's we don't have to. We don't, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do it the way Avram did it. We do. We are capable because of Avram. 
we are, you know, and he claims that this is something special about the Jewish soul, which I'm going to leave out, right? You know, we yeah. can frame it as, you know, we, those people who really understand the story of the Akedah, right? If you really internalize the message of the Akedah, then he thinks that, that really internalizing the story gives you the capacity to do it again. Different. So, yeah, I think one of the things I do like about this is that he's able to preserve both the Havamina and the Muscana as right. valuable. And he doesn't have to mm-hmm. sacrifice, pun not intended, sacrifice the the full meaning of the Havamina, nor, you know, cheapen the Muscana, right? Like, yes, you, you, you know, you should be prepared. But, you know, Hashem doesn't, says not to. I mean, I but think. But now, the, right, the question, right, the question is, does he pull it off, right? Because there's two steps, right? The first step is to convince us that you really have to go through the Havamina to get to the Muscana. Right. You couldn't have understood, right? You can't, right? And then, right, and we we can deal with our pedagogic moral challenges about teaching that way. And then yeah. he he evades it by saying, but you and the base managers don't have to do that. Because you and the base managers are capable of believing the Havamina, right? You're capable of whatever, you know, we might instead of second even tell you, we say you're capable of suspension of willing suspension of disbelief. Right. Or willing suspension of, you know, Muscana. Like you could feel yeah, the right. full force of the Havamina without not without dropping the Muscana. Right. So now the real challenge about this is that's fine when there's a text. So right. we can write, you can say, right, say in Gemara, right, if you're in, in Gemara, a particular derech of Shear. Now we have to figure out that's the way you, again, I don't know, you know, I often teach many so good, not that way, right? It's like, the, it says, right? Uh, review the Parnas, right? You should live in me well, right? Used to teach it the other way, right? You know, let's make sure we understand the Havamina in its own terms, and then we'll yeah. get to the Maskana, right? But yeah, you know, the goal is... does that a lot, where, like, He'll go back to it. I remember like a very long Tosos in Bovacama where he'll go back to all the Havaminas and go like, but this was obviously wrong. And like, no, I need to make the Havamina as strong as possible so that only the thing that the Gemara says is the uh is the possible answer to it. Right. But see, but then again, you still know it's you still know it's the Mascana, right? That's the the Maudetema, right? Right, Pshita yeah. Maudetema structure. Right. But that Pshita Maudetema structure tells you all along that it's a Havamina. Right, right. So, right. So now, right. The Rafarnas, you Rafarnas, you you, know, you could have, right. You know, you could have been in Shir for two weeks, I think, and unless you had read the next line of Gemara, you wouldn't know it was Avamina. Right. Yeah. We're just trying to figure out what the Svar is at this point. So that's Avramavina, yeah. right? Avramavina was in the Shir where we teach the Havamina and there's this, right, and you don't, you're not supposed to look the next line. And yeah, find so out what the book. You're saying that like Reparnas's yeah. shear was like being a- held in actual suspense. You don't yes. know about the Muscana yet, and what we're right? right? like it could yeah. there could be a Muscana, but we don't know about it yet. We're going to be genuinely surprised by the Muscana, and what Reparnas mm-hmm. is saying is you can do both. You could right. be you could fully commit to understanding the Havamina. Even though you know that there's a Mascana. And that won't diminish your commitment to figuring yeah. out the Havamina. So that to me is like, you know, that that's a that's a really interesting psychological claim, which he sets up like this is what it means, you know, to be a serious religious person and a Jew, is that you can right, you can really live the Havamina of Noah Adam Shalonivra and yet and yet get to Tov Mo'od. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. But now we know this Tov Mode, right? We read we've you know, we've read there's that moment in uh in Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat, right, where the they turn to the right, but it's all the right. We we we've read the book, right? We know that Joseph is great. We know that Joseph. We know that Joseph wins, but we're just telling you the story. Meanwhile, uh, right? That's yeah. it's a problem with any problem with any any literature of suspense, whether you, when you read it the second time. Yeah, that that, right? that is have, a good point about like how we read Tanakh in general. Like I grew up with the idea that I should teach Tanakh as if I don't know the ending and like maintain suspense. Uh, And that's the way I still teach to my students. But like lately what I've been thinking is like, 
nobody's ever had that experience really like people like you would hear those stories as bedtime stories before you got to later you already know so maybe that was maybe that it's not the intent to hold us in suspense maybe you're supposed to know the muscana and still also feel the havamina i'll give you the i think is the best right after that is Torah is given to people who live the story. Yeah. And that relates to I the the last podcast I did, I also pointed to this one. I've realized it is kind of my favorite. Uh Pesach Ayan Tet, I think, where he talks about uh living within a living within a mushal, basically. Uh it's a cool one. I recommend it. But yeah, that I'm I'm saying that's a theme in Ravhutner in general of being able to have not necessarily second naivete, but like go through living in the living within the universe of that, of those assumptions, even though you know that there's things outside of it. I like part of the problem with Refutter sometimes uh is like I get what he's saying, but I don't know how to explain it, you know? Uh, okay, right. So we have you know we have that number of better you know terms we can play with right. Second invite, yeah. willing suspension of disbelief, right? Living yeah. right, living within the the framework of the plot, uh, and it's really interesting to think about like which suspense literature can be reread yeah. and like, which can't. And sometimes it's surprising, like you know Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead kind of situation where like okay. they have to you know go along with the plot of Hamlet even though they know that like uh, even though they know that they're in a play of some sort i don't know um i do want to point out by the way yeah yeah, i I do want to point out i do think that this idea is kind of in shot that the the preservation of the havamina is still in shot how many people come down from the mountain um yeah no i think it's a fair question right and come down which way Right, it says Avraham comes down from the mountain. Like the, it seems that the Yitzchak doesn't come down with it, and Yitzchak doesn't come down down with it. Right, yeah. So it wants to preserve that sense of like, no, it could have happened. I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's. uh, I mean, just like you know, you you recognize the genre of, and he took the knife. To slaughter his son, right? You know that, yeah. right? You know that's, you know that, that's suspense language, yeah, right. That that's right. That's, and I think you're right. That in the end, you know, that there's a there's this veil of ambiguity. You know, again, to the question of whether you don't, you know, that's I think that's usually what plays out with the two statements, also, right? You know, where you, where you have yeah, the, the there, there's a whole right. shot. Uh, I recommend uh, Rav, my Rosh Hashiva Rav Scott Khan's sheer on it. I don't know if he still has it up on my Yeshiva's website, which is long. Uh, unfortunately been gone but there is a shot that exists in uh the medieval era that Yitzchak is actually killed at the Akeda and then yeah, he comes right, back that, two years last trial Sean Spiegel last trial yeah and he comes back two years later from Gan Eden and that accounts for like the different the the a uh mis- a different calculation and such and I've always found that idea intriguing not because I think that's actually a shot but I think the fact that that's left is a potential upshot is sort of uh is sort of going to what the Akeda is is that the potential for that act remained like that but you know you'd have to look for, like the the force of the Havamina remains even as the Muscana is there okay no I think that's that that ties in well uh, but yeah. a footer also, which is beyond the scope, but we'll talk about, but it's worth mentioning for a second, right? That he has this great finish and shot that um, that, that Yaakov's birth is is foretold is for, is foretold at the moment that um, the Amalek says Al Chalanar, because the capacity for Yaakov is created by that. Uh, by oh, that that's by that's that. cool. That's cool. Uh, that's a right. That's a very good. It's a wild. It's a wild shot yeah. thing, which you know, I I hope I hadn't seen it before, and I and I have to do it. But let's let me focus because I think we're also hitting timeline. Let me let me focus on what I want to get as the bottom line, then you can react. Okay, to that. I think, sure. I think that the um, or at least let's take the levels. The first level is Avram really believed it, 
and there are things you can't understand until until you the thing, there are truths you can't understand until you've lived the falsehood the right you've you've lived full belief in the thing which isn't quite true not false the thing which isn't quite true isn't true and you can't yet. get to the truth right and that's that's that that's where the word dialectic shows up easily uh, right yeah. we could we could show that in Hegel that we, that would be right that would yeah. be uh, thesis antithesis all that right that that's that's easy. Just to figure out, you know, is that that's the shot we have in Avram, and then we have to ask: so, what is Avram at the moment when he believes that? Right, that's the challenging question. Right, is is Avram a moral person at the moment that he believes that that's really what God wants, um, or is it that a moral person would always realize at the last minute? Right, which which of the two lesser outcomes would have happened if Avram hadn't done that? Would the lesser outcome have been that he would have killed Yitzchak, or the lesser outcome would have been that he would walk down the mountain, but never been sure. Yeah, that's that's a tough question. Good. Okay, that's yeah. one, right? Which one yeah. is Avram? Then the next question is the claim that we can that we can recreate Avram's experience even though we are not at risk because we know the Maskana. Right? So we're mm-hmm. not at risk. We're not at, we we might we have the risk perhaps of you know not entirely believing the Muscan, I guess, but why not? Why, why, right? You know, in that way, it's like you know, okay, it's just a claim that we mm-hmm. can have the same experience, and it, you know, and that therefore we can live with the recognition of what you know of why it might be better if we hadn't lived, right? All those sorts of things. That's a, yeah. That's a second move. That's a big move, um, right? And then you know, and then there's the analogy to Talmud, the analogy to um, to Talmud. Uh, to talk to Torah, but then to me, like the really big question is, what happens in worlds where we aren't sure we know the Muscan? Yeah, right. When we're like, you know, like we don't that you know, Rapunzel yeah. seems to live in a world, and you know, might say, okay, not murdering, that's a clear Muscana. So if we were put in the situation of the Akeda, we might know the answer. Uh, right, although there are all this all the poetry about you know the Akeda and World War One and all those sorts of things like that, where we might not know the answer and the Crusades and all, right? You know, yeah. and people sacrificing kids. But the question, what to me, like, what is if I'm teaching this, you know, and if I'm using the right, this is what I'm doing when I'm teaching you Gemara, and I want you to, I want you to be like Avram when it comes to facing com- commands of God that appear to be against your deepest principles. Yeah. So do like, we really know the Muscana? And is is knowing this Mamar already ruining it? Well, that's part of the what does, what does the Mamar do for you? In the end of the day, like, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, you know what? I right, I you know, I I have lived this absolutely, and at the end of the day, I have come out believing that uh, you know that it's really really it's us or to charge interest to non Jews. Okay, okay I'm, I'm deliberately picking a really right. That's their moral difficulty. How can there be a difference? How can it be? How can usury be? You know, how can, how can we say what well, when if right if not charging usury is you know charging usury is a moral thing? And they come out and they say, you know what? I was absolutely convinced, and it was through that moment of being absolutely convinced that I realized that that's not what the Torah means, and I you should accept that because I've had the equivalent of a divine revelation. The Malach yeah. has come to me. So we would generally, I think we generally react to such to many such people by saying, "No, you didn't." Yeah, no, you didn't. Right at the end of the day, at the end at the end of the day, it, right, if push had come to shove, right, then you didn't really believe it. At the end of the day, you didn't really, you know, either you're so convinced that you know what the maskana is that you never really thought that God, right, that God commanded that, or you still don't think that God commanded that, right, and you're just doing this because you're right, you right, so. The question is, is there ever a way in which this works for yourself? And even if it works for yourself, is there like is it ever useful in a society? Um, because right, yeah. how would we why would we ever be convinced? Like right, the way that back, I took it personally when I read it was you know, there are ideals that are expressed in halacha that even when not operative because of a muscat because a muscana has been made the fact that they're still there is you know means that the force of that havamina remains if that makes sense okay i buy that but it still hasn't helped you know let's get let's hear another story right let's suppose 
that the commandment of the Akedah had come down in public. Abraham, okay. take your son, your only son, right? And Abraham goes up on the mountain, and he comes down and says, I was going to do it. But then an angel came to me. Right? What? How will everyone? How will everyone else react? Sure, an angel came to you. Right? I was yeah. going to do it. You're, you're going to do it absolutely. I, I, I had the knife the, in my hand. I wish the audience could see my face right now. It's like, uh, like, totally turned to the side, going, hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the question, you know, I, I, I'd say, you know, I personally find this a very powerful description of what I think I sometimes do. And, mm -hmm. you, know, in, in, you know, an experience that I might have sometimes had, that there was something I struggled with for many years, lots of things I struggled with, I still struggle with many years, you know, and, but sometimes, you know, you know, but I've been living with them, right? I haven't been not doing them, uh, but I've been living with them, and suddenly I thought, you know, no, that's just really true. You know, and then you know, the joy is, when you, you know, when you, after I've come out with it, you say, let's go, oh, look, right, then all this evidence, which I had missed all along, or the, you know, where I find a safer somewhere, right, with somebody I really respect, and they said, they said it too, uh, right, you know, yeah. so, okay, right, so I was, you know, and Baruch Hashem, I, you know, Baruch Hashem, I had a muna, and, you know, and the, and the truth was revealed to me, um, and that's great, and then the times when, I, you know, the times when I just say, you know, no, I don't know, you know, like, wow, could I ever really have thought of, no, I would never, you know, wow, I don't know, I don't think I could have done that. And mm -hmm. um, then, you know, then I always wonder, like, what am I doing? And then I look, but I look at my friends, right? And how do I evaluate when, you know, my friends who are bothered by different things than I am, and some mm -hmm. of them I think are, are much greater mommy than I am, and, but they come up with answers that they go, like, no, like, you said the angel told you that? You must have misunderstood. Uh, yeah. I, you know, that can't, that, that, that's a totally, you know, like, that's a totally implausible shot, but right? Halayusham the Olah means take him up, it doesn't mean... Sacrifice him. I, I look. I took it by concordance. What does Halayusham the Olam mean? There are no bring up yeah. offerings anywhere, 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 anywhere in Tanakh. So that to me, I think, is the deepest question about Lord Hutner is, is is he does it work psychologically? And the answer is, for me, sometimes it seems to, but I have to, you know, except for my, you know, my own, like, should I should I doubt myself on that or not? And should that mean that the situations I haven't solved yet, the problem is not enough in Muna, so I just need to have more Muna, and I just I just have to know that at the end of the day that you know if, my, if I pick up the knife, God, that's when God will stop me. But I can't think about that, right? Because right, because yeah, right, I mean, right. So that's yeah. There's like a less conceptual and less pachadiyatsky way of thinking about it of like charitable reading of like sometimes you come to a text and you're like, well, you know, it's a good, it's from God, so therefore I must be wrong. Sometimes you look at a text and go, like, that can't be what God said. Okay, so how do you know? Second right? is rarer, it, but, you know, it, it but could you would have, right. Yeah, go ahead. But you, right, if you had to pick a text that God could have said it would be, right, right, so right. wants you, right, to, to dafka that text, to believe it absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. And now, you know, and I think I think like the problem is that, you know, how do we know the Muscana, right? How do we know the Muscana in those cases? And can you really do it both ways? I don't know. So I leave that as a challenge, right? To what extent yeah. is Rafutner a useful metaphor for ourselves struggling with what I I'm projecting maybe that you know that he's not so much interested in Dafka in the question of of uh Nivra as opposed to Tovnod, but he's he's providing a Pedagogic metaphor in which learning Gemara is a preparation for dealing with the hardest religious challenges. Uh, uh, I think I buy that. I definitely buy that. And, and then, does it work for you? Well, you know, and if it and does it if just because it works for you, should it work for me? Maybe I'm not. Maybe you're a much bigger mom than I am. And maybe if it works, if it, it should work for you and not for me, but how should I know that? Yeah, how I mean, provide a, a reliable way of my knowing whether your answers that solve my problems are good. Just thinking through my own, you know, intellectual history, like there have been, and maybe this is a way to bring it down to earth for most people. There have been things that I have thought in the past that I believed wholeheartedly at the time that I don't think anymore. And it's not because I looked back at, you know, those and went, you know, you're wrong. You're, it's just I evolved in a certain way. 
And I needed to get to that stage first in order to get to the next stage. And sometimes you're going to have things that are Havaminas that need their Muscana. And that's okay. I don't know. Does okay. that work? I think so. But you know, you know, to make Rehudra, you have to show, like, I couldn't have gotten to the Muscana unless I really, really believed it. Right. Like, that's the, right. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I... I couldn't have gotten to the place where I eventually gotten to if I hadn't fully believed this thing that I now know is wrong. Right. So that's that that would be the relatable experience. Yeah. And um, right. And then you know the question, but do people react to you and saying I you know, you know, by saying, hang on a sec, you were the other thing last week. So why should I listen to, why should I believe anything now? Or do they say, Well, you must write you right, you're the person if if you who understood the other position so well. I really believe that still have come out thinking this, then that must mean it's true. And both of those are, you know, reasonable human responses to other people's other people's experiences of that sort. Yeah, I think I think we should end here because neither of us is capable of ending a conversation. Uh, so I got okay. I, I got to let you go. Uh, and uh, you know, I gotta go eat dinner probably. Maybe, and you have people to attend to, and I have a wife. So let's, yeah. So let's. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Great. And the conversation. All right. Thank you so so much. This is really great. Thank you. All right. I'm gonna stop.